The first reading is from Galatians, chapter 2, verse 15, and you can find it on page 1169 of the Church Bibles. Galatians, chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And the second reading continues with Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It can be found on the same page. Slightly different version. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes... Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we just pray that God, by his Spirit, would help us to be grasped by what he's telling us today. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would make all these things clear to us, so that we may know that what you require are open hearts, believing hearts, trusting hearts, and changed lives. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you keep that Bible passage open, page 1169? I would like to suggest if you don't, you will get lost. Uh, On the back of the sheet are the headings, and you'll see the heading, uh, the title is From Law to Grace, The Abundant Life. The Abundant Life. Now, one of our daughters was born uh, by emergency caesarean section, so Tritty was pretty tired the first few weeks. We had little help. Uh, I was pretty weary, I seem to remember. Uh, One morning, a lovely Christian friend rang. God had told him in his quiet time that he and his wife were meant to visit us. Actually, God hadn't told us. But anyway, they came. They arrived. Uh, They didn't have children at that stage. They were oblivious to the needs of the newborn and her mother and her father. Somehow we managed to get supper on the table. It was very late. And as we sat down, our friend said, Charles and Trisha, this is not the abundant life. You need a nanny and a cook. (laughs) Well, as we struggled to provide hospitality, you may imagine that little of our feelings at that moment. So ever since, the words the abundant life have made us smile. But it is an entirely biblical phrase. And Jesus says that he came that we might have and have it to the full or abundantly. John's Gospel, chapter 10. And the Galatians were clearly not enjoying that kind of life. And maybe that's true of you this morning. You have a sense that despite the words of Jesus, you are not experiencing all that God has for you. So what can we learn from the Galatians? Here's my first point. They started well. They'd started well. First, they had a presentation of the cross. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 1. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And then look over to the page to verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now this is the gospel. On the cross, Jesus became a curse for us. Now that's a very strong, even a shocking word. The background is from the Old Testament, from the Deuteronomy chapter 21, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So his death was a sign of God's rejection. On the cross, Christ redeemed us, verse 13. He brought us back from slavery to sin, 
by taking God's rejection in our place. That means Jesus was our substitute. He received the curse we deserved because of our failures and sins, things said and done, things we failed to do and say. So that, verse 14, we might receive the same blessing that Abraham had. They'd started well because they had faith. Paul defines faith twice, chapter 3, verse 2, and verse 5. They believed what they heard. In other words, they acted on what they heard. It wasn't just a matter of intellectual assent. In order to experience the blessing Jesus won on the cross, they had to receive it for themselves, personally. John Ortberg has written a book with a marvelous title, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. Don't you think that's a great title for a book? And it refers to the incident where Peter, in a boat, saw Jesus coming towards him on the lake. Peter leapt out of the boat to meet Jesus and discovered he was walking on water as long as he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. A Christian is someone who has, in a sense, got out of the boat and put their life into the hands of Jesus. They'd started well, thirdly, because they received the Holy Spirit, chapter 3, verse 2. Clearly, they'd experienced miracles, chapter 3, verse 5. For when we commit our lives personally to the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes into our lives by his Holy Spirit, his living presence. We're not a historic society. We believe in the living God. And Paul refers to that in verse 14 of chapter 3 as the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming into our lives is the most wonderful thing because he's there to make us more like Jesus. He convicts us of the things that need to be changed. He makes the Bible real to us. And he is God's guarantee that we will be with him in heaven. And you can read about that in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. So that was it. That was how the Galatians had started in the Christian life. No rules, no regulations, just receiving what Christ had done for them on the cross. Is this what the Christian life is really like? Some of us today, as we consider this description, might be challenged to consider whether we know the real thing. The late canon David Watson was once preaching in a cathedral. He made the point that it was possible to go to church month after month, year after year, and not actually start the Christian life at all. He then added, looking around him, you could be in the choir and not be a Christian. You might even be an archdeacon and not be a Christian. A few days later, he received a letter from an archdeacon who had been sitting in the cathedral and heard the sermon. And the letter began... You have found me out. He had realized that although he was a senior clergyman, he had never taken that step of getting out of the boat and entrusting his life to Jesus. But he did so soon afterwards. Here's my second main point. 
it's possible to start well and then be pushed off course. It's possible to start well and then be pushed off course. That's what Paul means when he says, chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Chapter 5, verse 7, he says to them, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? It's a very topical picture. It's from athletics. A runner is doing really well, running a straight course, when suddenly another runner cuts across them, forcing them to change direction, even to slow down. And Paul is extremely upset. He uses very strong language, just as he did in chapter 1. First three verses of chapter 3, he calls them foolish twice. And as we've seen, he does that later, uh, in the letter too, in chapter 4, verse 11, he seems almost frustrated. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. They've gone back to what he calls weak and miserable principles, chapter 4, verse 9. For they're in danger of being enslaved once more by observing all the ceremonial days laid down in Judaism, all the rituals, chapter 4, verse 10. And that is not abundant living. Have you ever seen someone begin the Christian faith and then slow right down? Now, it's good for us to be aware of the possible causes of this kind of slowing down, even falling away. Could be as a result of false teaching, as it was with the Galatians. That's why I always urge those leaving London for work or other circumstances to make sure that they find a church that teaches the Bible and not falsehoods about the Christian faith. It's absolutely vital. It could be an extremely busy life where the essential spiritual fuel of prayer, Bible study, and church fellowship has simply been squeezed out. It could be, as we saw last week, the result of having been hurt by another Christian. All of these things slow us down spiritually And in every case, they ultimately can rob us of the joy that is the birthright of every Christian. Shall I say that again? They can rob us of the joy that is the birthright of every Christian. I wonder if this rings bells with anyone. Having started well, have you slowed down? Has the Holy Spirit shown you why that's happened, what the blockage is? Do something about it. Talk to me, one of the clergy. Ask one of our wonderful prayer ministry team to pray with you. Here's my third point. Like the Galatians, we may go off course because we haven't seen that joy and legalism don't go together. Joy and legalism don't go together. The danger is that having become Christians, we start to put rules of our own in place. But it's never possible to obey the rules completely, whether they're our own rules, let alone God's. We cannot satisfy every command, so we're continually anxious and insecure. Have I done enough to make myself acceptable to God is the sort of question this leads to. It's the curse of the law, chapter 3, verse 10, and we have no joy. And there's another way to live. And that way was demonstrated by Abraham. It's the way of faith. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. 
Consider Abraham, he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In Genesis chapter 12, we read how God made a promise to Abraham that he would make of his descendants a great nation. But Abraham's wife, Sarah, was past childbearing age, and he too was very old, and they had no children. So no hope, humanly speaking, of having any descendants. And sometime later, Abraham questioned God about the promise. And we read in Genesis 15 how God responded. God took Abraham outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And Paul quotes these very words here in Galatians 3. God treated Abraham as if he was living a righteous life, a life that God could bless even though Abraham was sinful, because Abraham took God at his word and believed him. In short, because Abraham had faith in God. He both believed and trusted in God's promise to him, and he acted upon it. Let me quote the late Dr. John Stott on this one verse. Abraham's faith was reckoned as righteousness, that is, he was himself accepted as righteous by faith. He was not justified because he'd done anything to deserve it, or because he'd been circumcised, or because he had kept the law, for neither circumcision nor the law had yet been given, but simply because he believed God. And Stott goes on to say, all this, the apostle says, the Galatians should have known. They should never have been so foolish. They should never have fallen under the spell of those false teachers. Indeed, they would not have done so if they had kept Christ crucified before their eyes. They should have realized at once that the Judaizers contradicting the gospel of justification by faith. They should have known it, as we've seen from their own experience and from the scriptures of the Old Testament. For legalism does not lead to the abundant life. Now, of course, the kind of legalism we may get into as Christians will be very different from what the Galatians were doing. It won't be a matter of observing seasons or days, much less circumcision. Fifty years ago, the pressure on Christians was not to wear makeup not to drink alcohol or go to the cinema. Today, I think it might be whether you raise your hands up in worship with the must or you must not raise your hands in worship. It may be that you must go to a church which has a band or one where there's no band and only an organ. Confusing for some then, since at St. Michael's we both have often the organ and the band playing together. Now, it's easy to smile. But maybe we have fallen into some sort of legalism. As long as we have our hour-long quiet time, 
that will make me acceptable to God. Or we make others fall into the same trap. Or we may find ourselves falling into another snare, and that is of judgmentalism. For legalism and joy do not go together. With all that in mind, we come to that great truth which pervades this letter, which is the true basis for joy in the Christian life. Indeed, it's central to Christianity. This one section, these few verses, are life changers. Abundant living comes when we fully understand justification is by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. Have a look at verses 15 and 16. 2, 15 and 16. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. What is Paul teaching here that is so important for you and me in the 21st century here in central London? Why should we sit up? It starts with our relationship with God, which is broken because our sin and self-centeredness has cut us off from God, God who is perfect. It comes because we can't do anything to bridge the gap between us and God, for doing good works or being religious won't repair and restore that relationship. The gap is too wide. So God took the initiative by sending his son to die on a cross to pay for our failures and sins. If we put our trust in Christ, then when God looks at us, he sees us through Jesus-tinted spectacles. He accepts us just as we are unconditionally. We are treated just as if I had never sinned. Note, it's not that God ignores our sin. Christ has paid the penalty for us. An old illustration may help. Picture a court of law. You are the sinner in the dock. You're guilty. You know it. There's a fixed penalty, and the judge has no option to pronounce you guilty and demand the penalty fine is paid. But knowing you don't have the resources, the judge steps down from the bench and pays the fine for you himself. Justice has been satisfied, the penalty has been paid, and you are free to go since you owe nothing. That's the significance of the cross. God's justice demands that sin is not overlooked and that the penalty for our sins is paid. But God's love for us means that our account has been settled by Christ's death on the cross. And as soon as we accept Christ, our status changes. In God's eyes, we are justified. The Bible describes us as being adopted into God's family. In Roman law, when you were adopted as a son, all your 
previous identity goes, all your debts, everything is changed. You are a new person. And when you do that transaction with Jesus, you are united with him like this. You are never the same again. You become a new person, a new creation. You've begun a new life. It's no longer Charles. But you are this new person called Charles and Jesus. Have a look at verse 20 of chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That union is the reason why you're no longer free to sin again. You may indeed sin, but it will, it will hurt. It will hurt. It will feel unnatural because you and Jesus are united forever. You are united to the one who loved you and gave himself for you on the cross. That's how much you matter to God. And it's all what the Bible calls grace. Chapter 2, verse 21, is where the word is mentioned. What someone has called God's riches at Christ's expense. And when someone truly understands justification by faith alone and acts on it, then life is transformed. Chuck Colson was special counsel to President Nixon from 1969 to 73. He was known as Nixon's hatchet man. He was tied up in the Watergate scandal. He spent time in prison. His journey in the Christian life began when a friend read out to him a chapter from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. It was the chapter, interestingly, which I didn't know before, on pride. And he described his reaction to the chapter. Of course, I'd not known God. How could I? I had been concerned with myself. I had done this and that. I had succeeded. I had given God none of the credit, never once thanking him for any of his gifts to me. So he prayed a prayer of faith and trust in Jesus and discovered, as he said, strength and serenity, a wonderful new assurance about life. I felt old fears, tensions, and animosities draining away. It was as if God was filling the barren void. He discovered the grace of God, that despite his past, he could be justified by faith in Christ. Justification by faith alone led him into abundant living. He started a worldwide ministry through which many thousands of prisoners have discovered Christ for themselves. The ministry which is still flourishing today is called the Prison Christian Fellowship. And so this one truth if you remember nothing else from today, this one truth, justification by faith alone, not only transformed Colson's life, it could transform your life. Do you want to know the abundant life? God's grace is available for anyone who turns to Christ because he loves us. It's also available for those of us who have followed Christ for some years but have allowed ourselves to be sucked back into some sort of legalism. 
we must turn our backs on legalism today too. Because God loves us, he wants the best for us. He wants us to enjoy abundant living, abundant life. Let's pray as we sit. A moment of quiet that we may hear whatever it is God has put his finger on because he wants us not only to hear it but to do something about it. Loving Lord, we thank you so much for your amazing grace that you accept us on the basis of our faith in you alone. A secret that Abraham discovered and is shot through the scriptures through to the Galatians and now to us. And so we pray that whoever we are, whatever stage we're at, we may be grasped by your amazing love and amazing grace and respond to it in that same faith that we may enjoy abundant life. For we pray it in your name. Amen.